1 Corinthians chapter 10. We continue through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. <clears throat> Last week we saw Paul use the analogy of uh, running a race, being persistent, working, making the necessary sacrifices. And Paul now uh, moves away from the athletic track to the history of Israel. Uh, in verses 1 through 5, Paul takes one of the biggest threats that any Christian can face, and that is the, the, the threat of presumption, of presuming upon God's grace. Look with me in chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So chapter 10 shows us that the Christian life cannot be lived halfway. The message of these first five verses is that external identification with God is never enough. Just being a member of a church or identifying yourself as being a Christian, that does not make us Christians. And Paul refers to Israel in the wilderness, and he shows that the deficiencies should be a warning about the dangers of presumption. There are many, many today, you've heard me preach about this over and over and over. There are churches filled today with, with church members who will one day find themselves outside of Christ because they were never inside with Christ. And, and many today, the Israelites felt like, and, and Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, they were the same way. They said, you know what? We're Christians. We can do whatever we want. We're safe from the wrath of God. We're, we're safe from all of this, so we can do whatever we want. And the Israelites felt the same way in the wilderness. They presumed upon the grace of God. And my friend, let me tell you that that is one of the most dangerous things any of us could ever do, is to presume upon God's grace. You show me a believer that is facing a temptation, and he says, you know, I can give in to this because I know God's going to forgive me. I can give in to this temptation this one time because uh, I know the blood of Christ covers me. And any person that, that has that mentality, that has that kind of thinking in their mind, has a very serious problem. And that problem is probably this, they're not saved at all. Because it's, they understand how dangerous it is to presume upon God's grace. So in, in the context of this letter, Paul is still dealing with food offered to idols. Uh, the Corinthians were saying, we don't need to worry about these pagan festivals. We don't need to worry about going to these uh, places where these uh, food is offered to idols. We're safe because we're Christians. We're, we're protected against this. 
And Paul tell, is trying to warn them of what a dangerous place they're in, in presuming upon this. Uh, and, and there are people today who rely on their baptism, on their on the fact that they go to church, on listening to God's Word preached, of partaking of the Lord's Supper. And they think, well, I must be accepted by God because I do all these things. And this is what the Corinthians were saying. And Paul says, you've got it wrong. Uh, they 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 see these activities as an immunization against God's judgment. And as Paul's going to show us, the Israelites, they falsely presumed upon the grace of God, and they faced terrible uh, discipline and judgment from God. And uh, so Paul, he demonstrates that, that this is not the case, that uh, all of these things are not an immunization against God's judgment. The ordinances of baptism and the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper uh, are supposed to be signposts to us. In the next chapter, Paul's going to go more deeply into the Lord's Supper. But we often take these things for granted. We often take these things, you know, when you do something over and over and over and over, no matter how good it is, after a while it can be where, where it doesn't mean anything to you because you do it over and over. And that's what the, the, the church in Corinth was dealing with. That's what we deal with today. You know, once a month we come together at the Lord's table and we partake of that. But I wonder, when we do that, how many of you truly believe or, or think about what's really happening, what you're really doing? You see, the Lord's Supper preaches the gospel to us. But when you, when you take of that little, that little cracker, do you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and His body being sacrificed on the cross? When you, when you take of the, of the juice, do you, do you think about the blood of Christ that was poured out for us? Do, but when we do it so much and you, you, you do this so many years in a row, after a while, you don't even think about it. You just go through the motions. And that's what Paul's warning against. That's what the Corinthians were doing. That's what the children of Israel were doing. They were just going through the motions of what was going on. And when Israel came out of Egypt, they shared a common experience of salvation. And, and the analogy here of baptism isn't about getting wet. It's not talking about the baptism where you dunk you down into the water. It's talking about being, it's, it's identification. And you see, that's what the baptism that we, when you dunk some in the water, that's what it means. It's an identification. But it also, Paul is talking here about how they were uh, baptized into Moses and how they were baptized. Uh, identified because he was the person that God had sent to lead them. They were God's redeemed people led by Moses. Uh, baptism doesn't make anyone a Christian. It is a symbol of having left of darkness and entered into the kingdom of light. And verses 3 and 4 speaks of that spiritual food and spiritual drink that came from the daily provision of manna under the uh, and water from the rock. And you know that God had come and sent Moses and he had delivered his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery. And they're out there in the wilderness and what do they do? They begin to complain. They, be, <coughs> they begin to complain about what they have to eat, what they have to drink. There's no water. 
And, and can you imagine if, if every one of us, if we were to just go outside every day and, and there's our food that God provides for us every day. You don't have to go to the grocery store anymore. You don't have to cook anything anymore. It's, it's all right there. God provided. How would we react to that? Or what if, what if we had no water and, and, and someone walked to a rock and they just struck that rock and water came out of a rock? How would we feel about that? And this is the place where the Israelites were in. And Paul says that Christ is that rock. Paul reminds us that the deliverer of Israel out of Egyptian bondage was none other than the crucified, risen Lord Jesus Christ. All right? and, and this is a parallel to the Lord's Supper, which reminds us of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. And it encourages us to feed by faith on Christ. Now, Paul, the, the, these Corinthian believers, just like many today in our churches today, Paul's comparing them to God's people, Israel. And you know what it shows us? You know, we, we as, as uh, Reformed Christians believe in the total depravity of man. And it is no more evident than Israel in the wilderness, the Corinthian church, and the modern church, we see it because we, they, no matter what God does for us, we complain, we take advantage of it. And, and, and the Old Testament Israelites, they drank the water from the rock and they ate the manna day by day. And they were learning that God, God was trying to teach them that he was their only resource. But look at verse five. He says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. God was not pleased. Let me ask you something. When you think back to your time that you uh, spend in, in, in daily prayer with God, is God pleased with you? When you come to the Lord's Supper and you partake of this, are, is God pleased with us? In what we've done when we gather together as God's people and we say that we come together to worship God. When we walk out of here today, has, is God pleased with us? <clears throat> we need to walk as the Israelites needed to learn by faith. But God, Paul wants his readers and us to understand that we can go through all the motions and, and, and all the privileges of, of God's grace and still not please God. We can become so careless in how we respond to the grace of God. Listen, we need to be very careful of a halfway Christianity. And folks, I want to tell you, there is a day coming, and we need to be prepared for it. There is a day coming when you and I will not be able to take our Christianity as casually as we do now. There will come a day when we will be put to the test and we, will, and, and we will be forced to acknowledge where we stand. Do we stand with Christ even to the death? And this is where Paul, these Corinthians are at. They, they have begun to be careless in how they treated the things of God. Uh, their generation, Paul says, and the, the Israelites, they did not enter into the promised land. Why? Because of their unbelief. 
because of their unbelief. They, they, had, the, the, they had presumed and said, you know what? And, and we see this in the New Testament in, in, the, in Jesus' ministry as he uh, dealt with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. They felt that, you know what? I'm a Jew, so I'm good. I'm a Jew, so God is pleased with anything I do because I'm one of his chosen people. And we have the same thing today. I'm a church member, so God must be pleased with me. I've been baptized, so God must be pleased with me. I read my Bible, so God must be pleased with me. But you can do all of those things. You can become a church member. You can be baptized. You can read your Bible, and you can die, and you can go to an eternity in hell. Because none of those things make us saved. And Paul is saying this. For many of us, the warning is very clear. Membership of God's people has great privileges. But with those great privileges come great obligations. Great responsibility. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. And listen, folks. Does any of you here doubt that God has given us much? And he says, to whom much is given, much is required. And, you know, to start well is good, but to finish well is even better. Or as I heard one of my football coaches used to tell me in high school, he said, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And it's true here. And, and finishing is very important. And this is why the discipline of constant daily running, going back to what Paul was talking about in chapter 9, this is why the discipline of constant daily running with the prize in view is so essential to every believer's well-doing. Everything that you do, every time you come into this building to worship, whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday night, Sunday morning, whenever it is, we must come with the view in mind, I'm here to learn of Christ. I'm here to gather with God's people. When we come to the Lord's table, we must come to it with an attitude of, Lord, I remember what you did for me. What does it say? This do in what? Remembrance of me. Do we come to this table and remember this is the price he paid for me to be saved, for you to be saved? We must have this, and we must keep the prize, and the, the, the prize is this, that one day you and I will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And everything we do points to that. You know, in the Christian life, there is no off days. We are commanded and exhorted many, many times, especially in the New Testament letters of Paul, that we are to constantly watch. We are to constantly be on guard. You know, the writer to the Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it come the issues of life. There is no stopping that. There is no time where you say, you know what, I'm just going to take a little break. Because the moment you take that little break, Satan pounces on you. And Paul is telling these, warning these uh, Corinthians, and he's warning us that there must be a discipline of constant daily running toward the prize. A constant daily running to Christ. A constant daily reminder of the gospel. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. All right, look at verse 6. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. 
We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. All right? Complacency is a serious danger. And this is where these Corinthians were. And many of us today are in the same place. And this is uh, particularly the case, when, as I said, when a set of actions is performed very often, when you do something over and over and over. You know, for instance, we come in here every Sunday. And we sing songs that many of us have sang for years. And we know them by heart. We don't even have to look at the hymn book. But I wonder how many of us sing the songs, Fairest Lord Jesus. How many of you thought about that as you sang it? How many of you think about these? And so the Corinthians believed that they were standing firm and they were very much in danger. Listen, any time that you and I can step back and say, you know what? I'm in a good place. I'm on my way. I have nothing to worry about. Just like that, you'll fall. Paul says, if anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed, lest he fall. Paul says that the symptoms of spiritual decline were all too evident in the Christian church, and complacency was at the root of the problem. Listen, I want to ask you, how much of your day, in your day-to-day, -day, how much of it is spent with your mind on God? How much of it is spent with your, time, with, with, with your Bible open, reading and meditating on God's Word? How much of it is spent with time and prayer for God? Or have we become complacent? Have we gotten to a place to where we've done this so often and now we begin to take it? Listen, the divided heart is a well-documented phenomenon. Uh, the repentance with which we first respond to God's grace is a change of mind or heart about God, about ourselves, and about our broken relationship with Him. And true biblical repentance, listen, true biblical repentance brings a radical change of character and behavior. I grew up in a denomination that taught that if you were truly saved, that you would do certain things. But I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible tells us that the evidence that you have been saved is that you will be a whole new creation. A new creature, new affections, a new heart, new loves. The, the, the sin that you once loved, you will now hate. And the righteousness you once hated, you will now love. 
It, it, it demands a radical break with our sin, and, and we begin to uh, have a change of character because now the Spirit of God dwells in us. You've heard me say this time and time and time and time again, and I will stand by this because it is biblical. If you have no ongoing desire in your life to be holy, you need to be saved because the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's His desire. And if it lives out through us. And so Paul is telling these Corinthians, he's saying, look, now, now remember what they had done. We got to go all the way back and keep reminding ourselves of how the Corinthians got to where they're at and how we can get to where they're at. They had moved away from the message of the cross, from the message of Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And so here they are. And, and Paul says that true repentance brings a change of character. It's an issue concerning the heart. The heart is not talking about this muscle that beats in our chest. It's talking about the center of who we are, uh, the control center of our whole life. It's the, the heart is where decisions are made, where priorities are established, and where the course of our life is determined. And the daily battle that we have with the world, the flesh, and the devil is centered on the believer's desire to do the will of God. When we give in to sin, do you realize what we do? When we face a temptation and we give in to that sin, what we're doing is we're saying, I desire this more than I desire God. That's what it all comes down to. I love this more than I love God. And so it's a daily battle that we have to do. Uh, you know, and Paul, he gives four incidents from, from Israel that, that occupies Paul's attention. Look at verse 7. He says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Does anybody know what the very first commandment is? You shall have... No other gods before me. Now, here's the interesting thing. Moses is up on the mountain. He's meeting face to face with God. You know, and you've all seen the movie. Well, God and the finger of God is writing to, to Charlton Heston. You've all seen it. But you see, here's the thing. While the finger of God was writing, you shall have no other gods before me. What was the second commandment? You shall not make unto thee any graven images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in earth beneath or is in the water under the earth that shall not be bowed down thyself to them nor serve them for I am the Lord your God and my jealous God. Do you know what was going on while God was writing that? The people down on the, they, they were building them a golden calf. By the way, do you know what they called that golden calf? Do you know what its name was? Yahweh. That's what they called it. Did you know that idolatry is not just worshiping some false god or something besides the one true God? Idolatry can also be worshiping the one true God in a false way. Idolatry can be worshiping the one true God, but not as he reveals himself in the Bible, but as we want him to be. <coughs> 
And this is what the people were doing. Single-hearted devotion to the one true God must be the only appropriate response to grace. And as I said, while Moses is there on the mountain meeting with God, the people were down there. And Paul says, don't be idolaters as some of them were. The people sat down to eat and drink. You know, when Moses was coming down from the mountain, he heard a noise. And he thought it was the sound of war. And he said, no, that's singing. The people were having a giant party. They were laughing. They were eating. They were drinking. All around this golden calf. Paul says, don't be like them. And the incident of the golden calf stands in biblical history as one of the most horrifying warnings of the treacherous nature of the human heart. You see, we are created in the image of God. But God put something in us that he didn't put in any other creature. Man is the pinnacle of God's creation. And God put in us an innate desire to worship. We must worship. You know, even the atheist worships. He worships himself. Self-worship. And this is where Paul says... Be careful, because your heart is deceitful, and it is very treacherous when you become complacent, when you begin to presume upon the grace of God. Your heart can lead you away from the one true God. Look at verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. This is found in the book of Numbers, uh, where the Israelite men indulged in sexual immorality with the Moabite women. When God brought them out, he told them, he said, you come out from among them and be you separate. He said, don't intermarry with the nations around you. Because do you know what happened? Do you know what happened when these Israelite men had sexual relations with these Moabite women and they began to bring them in? When those Moabite women came in, do you know what they brought with them? They brought their gods. We see this with Solomon. Solomon is the wisest man that ever lived, the Bible says. Yeah, I'm going to have to figure that out one of these days. Because he had 700 wives. But he married women from all over. But when the women came into the palace, do you know what they brought with them? And Solomon began to worship these false gods to appease his wives. And Paul says that in, tw uh, in one day, the angel of the Lord killed 23,000 people because of their sexual immorality. There is a close link between idolatry and sexual immorality. Because do you know what it ultimately comes down to? It comes down to self-worship. This is what I desire. This is what I want. This is what I need. And it becomes about us. Look at verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them do and were destroyed by serpents. The people the wilderness they began to complain they and they began to complain specifically against Moses and Aaron those that God had placed into a position of authority and the people began to say you know what we believe that there's somebody better than you we believe there's somebody here better they had completely taken out of account the fact that Moses and Aaron were where they were because God put them there so 
God sent serpents into the camp, and the serpents began to bite the people, and they began to die, and they began to cry out to Moses, and Moses cried out to God. Now, you all know the story. God had Moses take a serpent and put it up on a pole and raise it up, and everybody who looked at that serpent would be healed from their, from their uh, afflictions from this. The plague of snakes, this called, it was because of the ingratitude of the people. How often are we guilty of ingratitude against God? We, 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 you know, Paul Washer said something very interesting. He says, you and I in America, we are the most blessed Christians in the history of the world. And we are also the most ungrateful Christians in the history of the world. Look at verse 10. Nor grumble, as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Their discontentment, the disease of human pride. These, are these examples are terrifying examples of how God's chastening judgments must fall in wrath on those who complacency, who are complacent because complacency always leads to rebellion. And these people are in a dangerous place. And Paul is trying to warn them of what they're doing. Listen, the greatest danger is a complacency that is happy to rely on an outward conformity to Christianity while the heart's far away from them. <clears throat> Isaiah 29, verse 13. And the Lord said, Because this people... Draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Have you ever been guilty of this? Have we ever been guilty of this where we just go through the motions? And we come in here, and God says, I, I can hear the preaching they're doing. I can hear the amens they're doing. I can hear the songs they're singing, but it's all lip service. He said, their hearts are far from me. This is where complacency leads us. Paul affirms that God is speaking to us there in verse 11 from the Old Testament. He says, these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instructions on whom the end of the ages has come. Listen, ever since the days of Jesus, we have been living in the last days. The end of time is coming. The time of Christ's return is near. And Paul says these things were given to us as an example. They were written down for our instruction so that we can look and learn. But are we looking, are we learning, or are we becoming complacent? We need a healthy dose of heavenly realism if we're to learn how to live for God in our generation. Listen, folks, we are in such need today in our churches of godly men and godly women who desire to please God above all else. Men who are leading their families, who are being a priest in their family and leading their families in devotions and prayer and leading them to come to church. Men who are loving their wives as Christ loved the church. We are in need of women who are in submission to, to, to their husbands as they are to the Lord. 
who are teaching their children and rearing their children in the, in the admonition of God. We are so in need of this today. And, and in our generation, it's becoming harder and harder and harder and harder to find godly men and women who truly worship God, who truly want to live for God. And we've got to do that. We need that. And we pray that God will raise us up, men and women, to do this. Look at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. This is a warning that can be easily, uh, that we can be easily deluded. Israel thought that God would never judge them like the other nations. They made the fatal error that they could live any way they pleased and still be secure in God's blessing. And God says, no, I have called you out. You are to be separate from them. And Jesus Christ calls you today and me today. And he says, every time you come to this table, you remember the price that I paid for your salvation. That you were dead in sin, and in a moment, in an instant, I transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, and I gave you eternal life. Listen, eternal life is not just length of life. It's also quality of life. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And then I turn around and say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. I'm going to go do what I want. Is that gratitude or ingratitude? That's ingratitude of not knowing what he has done. And today we're prone to the same errors that Israel was. And the true Christian lives moment by moment in dependence upon and faith by faith in God alone. And verse 13 teaches us that while we can be easily deluded, we can also be delivered. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Now, I want to tell you, that verse right there is taken out of context 99% of the times that it's quoted. Because a lot of times we see that verse right there and we say, look, uh, the temptation that I am under, everybody endures this. So, you know, it's no big deal. Everybody does this. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, though, that when you are tempted, that, 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 that is common to everyone. But it's a great comfort for us in that verse. That if we will turn to God in our temptations and not allow them to drive us from him. You see, when the Corinthians faced the temptations, when the Israelites faced these temptations, they gave in to these temptations and it drove them farther and farther away from God. It drove them farther and further into complacency. It drove them farther and farther into idolatry. But notice what Paul says. God is faithful. God is faithful. The word faithful there is emphasized. God is faithful. The battle with temptation can be won if our, if our dependence is on God alone. And that's the purpose of these examples and warnings that, that, that uh, 
the way to stand firm in the midst of a perverse generation which we live in, a pornographic society which we live in. It's easy to get complacent. We come in here time after time after time after time. And after a while, if we're not careful, if we're not watchful, if we're not uh, on guard, it becomes just a routine thing that we do. And after a while, you know what we begin to do? We begin to honor God with our lips while our hearts are far from Him. You know, that's why we need to do, remember what Paul said in the, in the previous chapter. We need a daily time of examination where I get on my knees before God and I open His Word. Say, search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. When we need to get on our knees and we need to repent and say, God, forgive us for becoming so complacent. Forgive me for my idolatry. And you know, there, there, there are a million different gods out there, but I want to tell you there is one God in particular you will always worship if you don't worship the one true God. And that is ourselves. I am my own God. And you are your own God. Everything that we do, you see, if our hearts are divided between what I want and what God wants, I'm more likely to do what I want. But when my heart is single and I have a wholehearted devotion, this is why Jesus said you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul so that your heart would not be divided. So let us learn from these Corinthians and from the, from the Israelites. Let's not presume upon the grace of God. Let's not find ourselves in that dangerous place. Let's examine ourselves daily and, and say, God, bring me back to where I need to be. Help me, God, to worship you in spirit and truth. Help me to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. See, I want to tell you something. You can't do that. You cannot. You, none of us here are capable of loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind on our own. But when we cry out to Him, He can help us do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning that You have loved us with an everlasting love. <clears throat> and Father, You have called out to us when we were dead in our sins and brought us to Christ and given us eternal life in Him. Father, there are so many blessings that you daily pour out upon us. Father, forgive us for beginning to take advantage of your goodness. Father, forgive us for becoming complacent and letting holy things become mundane to us. May we examine ourselves. May we take the time, Father, to make sure that we are not complacent. That we do not presume upon your grace. Oh God, thank you for being so long-suffering with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Turn to hymn number...